You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. We had several notable games last week that, uh, honestly, for me at least, gave me a winner and a loser. So we're going to talk about those in depth. Uh, the first one I'd like to to start on big winner of the week. Um, once again, Alabama, but specifically when they play 2021 Final Four teams. Um, if Alabama matches up with UCLA at any point, Alabama is going to win in a blowout. They already have beaten uh, Gonzaga and Houston earlier in the season. Over the weekend during the uh, Big 12 SEC Challenge, they added Baylor to that list, uh, beat the Bears at home. And one of those things where it makes no logical sense, um, you know, seeing Alabama beat a team like Baylor, but just on trends, Alabama has basically matched the level of competition every time out this season. It's It's been remarkable to watch. Yeah, they truly are a uh, you get what you give when it comes to the opponent. Like, <laughs> however your team is playing, whatever you are, you are going to get it right back uh, from this Crimson Tide team. Funny enough, they're coming off a loss against Georgia, and then they go on and really handle Baylor pretty well. I think, you know, Baylor had some issues of their own. Uh, Kinjo nodded 100% and really didn't play particularly well. Um, Their speed threw Baylor off a lot, I think. And it was, uh, you know, a a great effort defensively. Um, Obviously, they scored a ton, which is hard to do against Baylor as well. But I think they, they got a little bit of everything when they needed it. And and certainly a couple bounces went their way, but credit credit to Baylor at least. Like we knew, we knew they were never going to give up. They cut a massive deficit. I think it was twenty points. It was close to twenty, down to single digits rather quickly um, in the second half, but never really had enough to get over the hump. And I don't think it was ever in danger of Alabama losing this game. Baylor did make it a little bit of a game. There's a good closing push at the end from J.D. Davison off the bench for Alabama. But, yeah, the, like Javon Quinterly showed out 20 points. Um, I, I think the most telling thing is never in a million years would you expect a team like Alabama so perimeter-oriented to win a rebounding battle against a team like Baylor, but that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And Alabama was not falling in love with the jump shot as they have in some of their poorer performances this year, they won this game. They only knocked down seven, three pointers. They were attacking. They were getting out in transitions. They can do so well as they knew. That's one of the few ways they're going to be able to score against this high level Baylor defense. Uh, But again, we've, we feature them almost weekly, either on the winners or losers segments, but the elusive thing for Alabama is just some kind of consistency. After all they've been through, they are a fringe top 25 team on the basis of some of their quad one wins. They have six now, um, which is it's almost is remarkable. half their wins. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> and then you look at uh, some of the, the terrible, terrible losses uh, that they've had, most notably Georgia and Memphis. Um, but they're hanging around. They're, I mean, they're not maybe the team that we thought they would be in the preseason. They're, they're still looking up at, at quite a few teams in the SEC, but 
they'll be back in the tournament. And the big question, and then the, you know, the, the joke that writes itself is just Alabama's going to be in danger, whoever they draw first round. But after that, they're a team that nobody <laughs> wants to play. Uh, they so. would be the worst seven seed in the world to see if you were a two. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you just look at their, their body of work. They're four and four in the SEC right now, 14 and seven overall. They're five and one against AP top 25 teams. Like It, it says it all right there. It's crazy. They're going to be one of the hardest teams to project um, yeah. in the, the bracket in March because there are not a lot of teams that you'll ever see have a ceiling and floor miles apart like it yes. is for the Tide, but um, that's, that's where they find themselves. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting last uh, month and a half of the regular season, the SEC tournament, just in general, uh, to see how this conference shakes out. But um, Alabama is a little bit of the, uh, you know, the straw that stirs the drink kind of will be very telling where they're able to finish the conference and should go a long way in determining just how favorably the committee looks upon the SEC. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh Teams like this, teams in the middle tier of these power conferences, you'll see really where, like you said, where the committee stacks them up. Because I think, and I think you agree, that there's a clear uh, power, like the power rankings for the power conferences are pretty pretty obvious at this point, um, certainly at the top. But really, when you get into that middle level, you've got, you know, Big East, Big Ten, maybe SEC, but like it's hard to really decipher between them and the committee will obviously have to do that. And it was, it was a win over the weekend in general for the conference um, yeah. that matched up against the big 12, a couple upsets that the SEC suffered, which I'll talk about in losers, but as a whole knocked off the big 12, six, four in this one. And Alabama was one of the notable wins. The other one Kentucky, yeah, they have bounced back incredibly well in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, gave Auburn all it could handle without you know either starting guard healthy, um, and come back, draw Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse, one of the toughest assignments out there, and absolutely hammer the Jayhawks. Fifty-one points in the first half, in complete control. I don't know if ever if I've ever seen anything quite like that. Yeah, I mean, Bill Self was down to two timeouts with like 12 minutes left in the first half. It was absolutely incredible, almost unfathomable, especially given like how solid Kansas has looked this year and at home. Um, but Keon Brooks was sensational. Oscar Shibway continues to do the damn thing on the inside. He is an absolute menace on the boards. Defensively, he is long. He gets in passing lanes. He makes the plays uh, that you would expect a guy that played for Bob Huggins for a few years to make. Um, they, they're, I would say Kentucky's fatal flaw is not calling out screens. Still, Severe Wheeler got drilled early in the game with a, I think it was McCormick's screen, and you thought he was going to go down for a bit, but this is like the fourth time in the last six games that one of their guards has gotten obliterated on a screen. It's like almost to the point where you, you kind of want to speculate like if there's some... Locker room strife. Um, but... Let's start the narrative. 
<laughs> no, if if this was the NBA, I think that would actually be the thing. But I think this is just college kids not, you know, right. Thinking through the the basics sometimes, like yeah, the, can't see the the screens coming. Let's let's maybe say something so he doesn't get jacked up. But yeah, uh, that's that's tough. But yeah, Keon Brooks, kind of the forgotten guy in the starting five. Um, so it, was, it seemed Kansas forgot about him too. He's able to to just have his way all day, but. This game for Shibway, 17 and 14, right around his season averages, actually lowered his rebounding season average by, <laughs> by getting 14 against Kansas, which just speaks to how consistent and how dominant he has been all season long. Um, you know, it's it's Kofi Coburn-esque, um, just kind of how he can physically dominate a game. Um, yeah. and without him, I don't I don't know where where Kentucky would be. Um, that would be a a tough proposition, but um, they're they're certainly hitting their stride. This is a team that can play its way into a one seed still um, off the the backs of some strong victories like this one, um, and yeah, it just speaks again to how tough the top of the SEC is. Yeah, no no easy games for sure in this league and. Uh... When Kentucky can get scoring from a couple different guys, uh, they they are incredibly hard to beat. Speaking of Kofi Coburn, I have to give Illinois a quick shout out. They beat Michigan State uh, while we were recording last week, but they <laughs> they did they did hang on. We left that part out. Uh, beat Michigan State without Kofi Coburn, without Andre Curbelo, um, and. A very, very strong defensive performance, especially since they didn't score the last five minutes of the game themselves, um, mm-hmm. but really locked down the Spartans to to hold them off. And then Trent Frazier, as he has done throughout his career, giving them just enough offensively and Illinois getting a, a massive win at home and again, making the conference title race that much more tighter and interesting. Yeah, great win again. Uh, they... They are a confusing team, no doubt, but learning to win without your star players is only going to benefit you come March because crazy things happen in the NCAA tournament, as we've seen. And if you find ways to gut out wins, you're going to be built for a survive and advance type setting. Yes, uh, kind of a, a struggle getting back, um, getting Coburn back. They had a a way too close win over Northwestern, though, to be fair, that's been all of Northwestern's losses. Um, yeah. But not a good basketball team. And as a reward this week, they get to go up against Wisconsin. They get to go up against Indiana. So it'll be uh, a very telling week on kind of getting a better read on Illinois and kind of what seed they can realistically hope for uh, come March. Who's another winner for you last week? I, I mean, I have to go with the luckiest team in the history of Ken Palm, Providence. Uh, it's an unbelievable storyline that's going around Twitter. And it is actually baffling that Providence fans either don't understand what it means to be the luckiest Ken Palm team or just don't care and take the word at face value and, and are at, mad about it. It's really a compliment because it means they are simply outplaying the expe- uh, expectation that is put on them analytically. Like the Friars have drastically exceeded expectations as we are all aware. They even, even 
you know, to pat myself on the back, picking them as a dark horse, never would have anticipated something like this. This feels like where you'd expect Villanova to be not Providence at this point in the year. Certainly some fortuitous bounces, but at some point, I think people got to give credit because they are winning tight games. They're finding ways to win. Al Durham has been phenomenal. Maybe the best closer this year in all of college basketball, because when he gets the ball or gets to the free throw line late in the game, you know, he's putting it away. Um, but credit to them. Huge week this week. They took down Xavier and Marquette, two of the hotter teams in the Big East, and they still sit atop the league at eight and one. We have been complimentary of Providence all season, um, yeah. but I have noticed on Twitter there's been a lot of either searching out or, or finding just perceived slights by the fan base and, and kind of getting all up in arms. It's a, like, it's a wild would... move, but you know what? I guess they're, I mean, they're clearly just used to the disappointing seasons where they start hot and then fade drastically. I understand it to an extent, you know, having a, a wonderful season, which Providence is top 15, deservedly so based off their resume. Yep. You you want recognition. You want recognition without caveats like Ken Palm having you 46th and uh, the luck rating. I mean, it, it is a factual statement that Providence has won a lot of close games. A lot yep. of that is to their credit. Al Durham has been a, a great closer, been very good at um, just willing himself to the free throw line and yep. being very consistent from the charity stripe with the exception of the last two free throws against Marquette. Very smart to miss the second. So plus two and a half hit. Appreciate that. But uh, outside of that, like they've, they, they've got a good team, um, but they just yeah. haven't been blowing a lot of teams out. So, I mean, just looking at the numbers, which, you know, these analytic sites do remove the eye test entirely. You know, that's, you would not expect Providence to win every single toss-up game uh, for the most part. Some just aren't going to go your way. That's how the sport works. Um, so that's that's all that's being said. I, I think Providence is a very good team. I do think they are going to be a team that a disproportionate amount of people are going to circle as an upset pick, um, maybe even in the first round. Um, in yeah. the bracket. So that's something you can maybe get triggered by uh, down the road. But right now, I think let's, uh, let's cool down. This is like, let's not do things that make Providence go from the, the lovable underdog of sorts to God, their fan base is annoying. Um, Cause it, it can happen quickly. You don't They've want done it already, happen. at least in the big East, they have, they have catapulted over, you know, perceivably St. John's and Yukon to have now become, like the most annoying fan base out there. But like looking at looking at other sports, like you saw how it, it's it's been quick how you know the Chiefs were a good story too. Now we just get annoyed by a lot of their fan base. Um it, yeah. it can happen in college basketball too, where fan bases are arguably even more online. Um so let's all let's all remember that. Just a just a word to the wise. Um but no Providence still very good at basketball. But they are. They're also getting shit because they've got the three games that uh, were canceled, that are probably not going to be made up. It was UConn uh, at Creighton and at Seton Hall, and people are up in arms about them not playing those games. That's um, fair. Yeah, I'm not on Big East Twitter, so I, I haven't probably seen you know all the the complaints uh, as much as you have. I I think I only saw about 
two tweets and there, there was some overlap uh, between Indiana and Providence Twitter randomly, uh, maybe Al Durham connection, but I saw yeah. way more of those, uh, those fan complaints than uh, other fans about Providence missing games. And like, that's a little bit more of a gray area. I can, I can understand the frustration. I probably still wouldn't say anything kind of like we talked about, uh, you know, Michigan state fans losing their mind at Michigan earlier. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's certainly fortuitous for their quest for a Big East title. Look, it, it, they they were, yeah, they were fortunate in that they didn't have this happen early. They got to see how other teams dealt with it. Seton Hall dealt with it maybe as poorly as you possibly could, and now Providence learns. You know, Ed Cooley and Kevin Willard talk, and Willard says, "Don't play until you're ready," and the league doesn't force them to play regardless of what their their status is. So. They didn't have to play. And that, you know what? That's a great move. That's a smart play. And that's how you win games. Yeah. In terms of gaming the system, Seton Hall did not. Classic do, Kevin Will. Very good job. I bet. Yeah. I, I still think it's, you know, it's admirable that they played. And I wouldn't have hated if more teams did that. But well, we'll, we'll remember this in a couple weeks and see where the season is at. And then <laughs> see Fair. if it still remains. January is almost over. So the, the swoon. Swanuary well, I mean, by the by the time you hear this, January's yeah. over. So, nothing but blue skies on the horizon. Fingers crossed. Need to give a shout out to UCLA. Uh, a yeah. great Pac-12 after dark game. Um, boy, Billy Walton getting after it late nights. Um, and it was a big time statement win because we knew coming into the season, but even with UCLA kind of floating around the top 10 for most of the year, I don't think many people were really looking at them. I mean, like that's a team that can absolutely win the national championship, but the way they played against uh, Arizona on both sides of the ball, I think was a big time reminder that, you know, this is the team we had last year um, with a couple extra pieces. So they're ready to go back to the final four. They're ready to contend for a championship. And uh, that was an emphatic statement. I'm going to say something. Now, I don't know if it's going to sound dumb or not. So I need you to check me on it immediately. Okay. Uh, and this is how you know it's going to be good. Part of me thinks UCLA really, it, it, it's kind of like the Gonzaga syndrome where they get so bored playing the bottom slash middle part of the Pac-12 that they almost don't get up for those games. And that's where you see some of the like lethargic play and they're not necessarily putting away or blowing out the teams they should. But now like you've got a top 10 matchup against Arizona, who's a, you know, number three in the country. You get up for that game just to show how good you actually are. It's almost like complacency against bad teams. I understand the general points. I don't know that it applies as much to this specific situation. Um, right. Like, I, I think the biggest thing really is just, you know, they were, they were off the grid for a while. They had five straight yeah. games that were canceled or postponed. Um, so long layoff, they, they kind of fell out of the national eye, even though they're still, you know, like I said, sticking around in the top 10. Um, but, you know, since they came back, They've played nine games. They've won eight. The one loss to Oregon when Oregon um, had its its best week of the season, um, to put it nicely. But yeah, you know now UCLA's got the half game lead on on Arizona. Obviously, the the head to head win at the top of the Pac twelve, and 
that seems to be that's what uh, the conference title race is going to be between. Um, going to talk about USC. They're falling off. Um, yeah. may, the only other possibility is if Oregon just stays red hot and makes a late push, but they've got some ground to make up still. It's It's looking like what we kind of knew for much of the season that Arizona and UCLA are the class of the conference and certainly head to head. It looks like that title is UCLA's. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and obviously Oregon did not do itself any favors this past week, losing to Colorado. So um, there is, there's certainly a sizable gap that I don't know anyone can make up at this point between those two teams and the rest of the league. Yeah. Uh, Oregon, making up two games against uh, those teams will certainly be a challenge, but uh, the, the fun thing is they're going to UCLA and Arizona are going to play again um, this week. So we don't have to wait long for that matchup again. Exactly. Love this. Bill Walton give it and Bill Walton take it away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've, I've got one more. Do you have anybody else? I do. Uh, I am going to put Texas on the list. And I say this slowly because their wins were against TCU, who had a nice week as well, knocking off LSU uh, in a a really good game for the Horned Frogs, a a signature win that they needed. And Texas beat Tennessee. And I put Tennessee and Texas basically in the same vein in that on paper, they're good teams. They have shown the ability to be a good team but I have no confidence in them. And when they play each other, it kind of played out that way in that very low scoring, not great offensively. And, you know, Texas ended up getting the win, but I'm, I'm not convinced that either team is, is that great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Texas and Tennessee are very similar in a lot of ways. Um, you know, both wear gaudy oranges, <laughs> fighting for the true UT. Um, so it's only appropriate they matched up in the challenge. Uh, to, I had Texas as a winner as well. Um, TCU and Tennessee, I think, are both tournament teams. So those are solid wins. Yeah. And I think the the big point now is, is Chris Beard is, is going full Chris Beard now. It's like we care about offense a little bit, but really we are just going to choke the life out of you uh, defensively. This is – Three straight wins, three straight games in which Texas has allowed 51 points or fewer. Um, Mm -hmm. So that really seems to be the strategy going forward, not unlike some other teams in the Big 12. um, But I think the difference is Texas has guys who can score, and that's not always the case for, say, an Iowa State. Um, But yeah, really going to lean heavier into, I think, making these – defensive-minded games um, and just relying on the strength of his team because offensively it's been very challenging putting all the pieces together into something that is consistently productive. Um, so, yeah, kinda, like, kinda feels how worried like should we be about Marcus Carr? I, I just don't think it's a good fit. I think he's still a good player, but I, I just I don't think this is the system for him. Yeah, he's he's just not shot the ball well. I know he had 25 points, what, 12 days ago against Kansas State, but he also got to the line 12 times. So, I mean, that's what he does. That's what he does. But at the same time, he has 
struggled to shoot the ball even decently well since all year. Yeah, that is uh, that is for sure. But that was, that was my last winner was Texas. All right, that's so, all I had. Okay, uh, who's your big loser of the week? Uh, my big loser, I am gonna go with USC. Um, the loss to Stanford was a tough one, and really, like we had talked about, takes them out of the Pac-12 race. Yeah, and the the first loss to Stanford was the first loss of the year um, when we kind of saw, hey, you know, we know they're not going to go undefeated, but now it's official. The second one, getting swept by the Stanford team is uh, is a very bad look. And yeah, like USC is still a very challenging team to read. They're, they've got a great record, um, so they're going to stay ranked, um, mm-hmm. but they're not like a Providence because um, Providence has some good wins and USC still really yeah, does not. I'm, tr- I'm trying to, to find it, but since they started losing games, they've, you know, they've had a five and three stretch, two losses to Stanford, one to Oregon. They've beaten the likes of Oregon state, Colorado, Utah, Arizona state, and Cal. All the bottom five of the PAC 12 Colorado is the only one with a winning record. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like the, the PAC 12 is just not good enough to get a, a read on some of these teams. No, it's really not. And this actually now begs the question. I want to go look at uh, USC here and see what I can uh, dig up on our dear friend, the Trojans. They metrically look good. 26 net, 27 Ken Palm, um, 23 in BPI. They're, Strength of schedule is 145 in the non-conference. They are 1-0 in quad one games. They have played one quad one game. They're 5-2 and two in quad two, 7-1 in quad three. Um, really beating up on the lower tier teams. And then obviously they have one of those losses. But they win and they're, they're doing so for the most part by double digits. And that, as we've seen, uh, seems to be the recipe for moving up your net it doesn't matter uh who really it is that you're beating as long as you are uh taking care of business in those games and winning by double digits you're able to to move up like that that's really what houston is finding as well um their level of competition pretty low for the most part um so we've kind of harped on in the american um but it hasn't seemed to to hurt them too much um as far as analytics are concerned uh, but yeah the at some point that's that's a situation where you're you're waiting for the other uh shoot a drive and i guess both situations yeah absolutely um there was actually a good example washington state is the perfect example they have a 38 net they are oh and two in quad one games and one and four in quad one and quad two games they have three losses to quad three and quad four teams but they've got uh, 48-point win over Idaho, 18 over Alcorn State, 30. They blew out Arizona State in the one game. They've got basically eight wins by 15-plus points, and that is elevating their net well above where they should be. Yesterday, they beat Colorado 70-43. to 43. Um, yeah, So, exactly. yeah, when they uh, 
when they win, they win big generally. Um, but I will not accept too much slander against my preseason Pac-12 <laughs> sleeper. Kyle Smith believer over here. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's just a, a situation of there are not enough good wins to go around in the Pac-12. So you got to blow ha- everyone ha- out now. Yeah, when you have an opportunity to hammer a team, you have to. Yeah. Like it's not an option. Um, not to pile on too much, but obligatory mention, Arizona was a loser, but specifically Karakariza. Uh, 0 for 12, 0 for 9 from behind the arc, four turnovers, um, seemingly trying to keep his team out of the game uh, <laughs> against UCLA and was successful. Um, yeah, don't want to pick on the kid too much, but that was one of the biggest uh, like no-shows in a massive matchup um, that I can remember in uh, a very long time. So yeah. Real disappointment. They shot poorly altogether. They shot 30% from the field, 25 from three. Really didn't get to the free throw line, and it just shows how how well UCLA played against them. Yeah. Again, very good game from UCLA, both sides of the ball, defensively, obviously, and shooting 50% themselves. That'll uh, that'll do it. You'll win some games. Yeah. Also, we welcome back LSU. They have now lost four or five games after the blistering starts. Most recently to TCU, who again is a uh, a tournament team, most likely. A um, couple good pieces uh, in Mike Miles and Chuck O'Bannon, um, but it's it's just the the same script time and time again. And even a uh, a quote unquote good offensive performance against TCUs, they, they put up 68 points, gave up 77, um, which I believe is a, a season high. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah mo- most points they've given up all season. Um, so a little concerning um, when the one thing you've been able to rely on all season is, is letting you down a little bit. Um, but more importantly, I think it's just, they have been consistently bad offensively um, mm-hmm. the whole season. And, you know, it's one thing if, if you come through like Gonzaga and the Zags have their way a little bit offensively, TCU is uh sub one twenty in offensive efficiency on Ken Pound. Like this is not a, yeah. a team that's, that's been beating the doors off everybody um, on offense. So that, that to me is more the the issue and kind of look in the mirror time. Like your defense isn't going to hold teams to 50, 55 points every single game. Um, but we can count on your offense to do very little. So that right. That would be concerning. They I mean, they just simply need to break 70 points at this point. They haven't, I mean, they scored 70 exactly against AM, but they haven't gone over 70 since they beat Tennessee a couple weeks ago and before that it wasn't since they played Lipscomb so really high level of competition there Tennessee is just everyone's statement win <laughs> it like, is, we, they are. like it was when we're like oh shit Kentucky's back when they dropped like 107 on them um and then Texas just now is like all right we'll bump them back in the top 25 right um I mean just shout out Rick Barnes for beating Arizona that was yeah that was it like that 
that got them a spot in the top 25 for seemingly life, but they're still there hanging around. Um, but yeah, like Tennessee is, is where you go. If you're a top 25 team, you're struggling a little bit, but we need to make people pay attention to us again. No doubt. So, 100%. It's a, that's a good guy move. I am out of losers, actually. Oh, I have I, I a thought, lot. I thought I would overcorrect this week and go more <laughs> negative after last, but I was, I'm almost a little disappointed in myself, so we'll, we'll need you to, to pick up the slack here a little bit. All right, I'll sit up for this. I have a lot. <laughs> um, Loyola, they lose to Drake over the weekend. They've lost two of their last four. Uh, the two wins were against Southern Illinois, a ga- uh, games in which they scored 59 and 44 points in the wins. Little bit of a bump in the road here for Drew Valentine and his team. They need to figure out how to get the offense going again and really pick up the defense. They've been beaten by a couple of uh, decent offenses, really star-led teams in Drake and Missouri State. But this is a team that simply cannot afford to lose games because the little bit of leeway they had in terms of an at-large bids, especially this year where... Seemingly, there are a few mid-majors that have a hope at picking up an at-large bid uh, is is out the window. And now they are tied for first with Drake in the Missouri Valley. Eloyola has to win the Valley going away. Um, Yeah. They've got one win, probably, against the tournament team, San Francisco. Like, that, that game is... Even more clutch now when you look at their resume, they're able to schedule that last minute, play it, and win it. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, otherwise, their best performances of the season are like good losses, which don't mean anything. Like they they yeah. showed out in Atlantis. They had the, you know, the the last second loss to Michigan State. They had a single digit loss to Auburn, not necessarily knowing at the time how good the Tigers would become, but Right. Um, that's still that's still a, a good looking results when you look back at it. Comfortable win over Arizona State. Arizona State's a dumpster fire. Um, yeah. r- road wins over DePaul and Vanderbilt. You know, it's great. They're power six, not tournament teams. Um, so mm-hmm. that's uh that's why you know dropping these conference games does a, a ton to hurt you, and there's not much they can do at this point to you know, raise their stock back up. They just have to avoid any more bad losses and, you know, presumably at least make it to the championship game um, to get into the field as um, an at-large team because it uh, yeah, it's not looking good right now. I, I think if, honestly, if they, if they lose, like, one more uh, game in the Valley in the regular season, they might have to win the tournament to get in. Um, cause there, there's no bracket busters anymore. They can't pick up a quality win, um, over like a Murray state or someone, um, right. which would be great at this point in the season. So yeah, they just have to basically win out. Uh, yeah. So no pressure, no, no margin for error at this no. point. Um, so yeah, th- Loyola was definitely a loser last week. Uh, Creighton. Let's let's go from for, or current Missouri Valley on their way out to uh, former Missouri Valley. Um, yeah, Creighton blows a 17-point halftime lead against Xavier. Just a massive run for the Musketeers to start the half. And then they lose by 17 to Butler, who has really struggled this year. Um, finally getting healthy, so maybe seeing 
some benefit to that, but 55 and 64 points were the output this past week for the Blue Jays, who, in terms of Ken Palm, have been a much better defensive team than offensive team this year, which we're not necessarily used to seeing as we're used to the high-flying Creighton offenses, but they need to uh, get things right quickly because they've got three of their next four on the road here. And for a team that was already on the bubble, probably trending out this past week has really hurt them. Yeah. And that's just so demoralizing, um, you know, to, to put forth such a, a dominant defensive effort in the first half and then have it unravel so quickly and yeah, so much that, you know, it's not like you lost a one possession game. Like you were, you were thoroughly beaten. Um, so it's, Something you can probably attribute to how young the roster is. Like it's important to remember that college basketball games are forty-minute games. Um, yeah, what you do in one half doesn't necessarily translate to the other. You still have to come out with the same intensity both times. Teams aren't just going to roll over and die. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm sure Coach Mack went to a lot of those platitudes, um, or should start if he hasn't yet, because this is right. something you want to nip in the bud, but. Yeah, I, I think I think Creighton was a little ahead of schedule with uh, how they started Big East play this year, and we're kind of seeing a course correction right now. Um, I think mm-hmm. next year and the year after, they're going to be very good, um, but this is just kind of a, a lot of guys getting their feet wet in college basketball right now. Um, so you're unfortunately going to have some of these performances. Yeah, they actually peaked with a 94% win win probability in this game and uh, found a way to lose. It's tough. But before people get mad at numbers, that's just probability. (laughs) Yes. It's not a fact. Um, So another team we talked about last week with uh, glowing praise, Florida State. Really bad week, losing at Georgia Tech and then at home to Virginia Tech who on paper is a good team this year. We've just seen they they simply are not that. Um, both losses were by double digits. And all of a sudden, go from 6-2 and two and looking decent in the ACC to 6-4. And, four, and uh, you've got a date with Wake coming up where I, I have no confidence in this Florida State team, and I have even less in them getting more than three bids to the NCAA tournament at this point. It's it's right as you want to anoint um, an ACC team as an at-large team that they just completely yeah. forget how to play basketball. So I'd be very worried about Notre Dame as we're recording this <laughs> against Duke. It's the Irish have won 10 and 11 and are trying to sneak into the tournament field. Um, but, yeah, well, okay. They're losing so far, so... They would move above tracks. Duke in the uh, standings, actually, and be tied for first with Miami with a win. Wow. Um, but yeah, this was uh this was a horrible week. There's there's no two ways around it. Like Georgia Tech is in dead last in the conference, um, which credit to Boston College for not occupying that. Not even close. Yeah. Um, but like Josh Pastner's a nice guy, you can't lose to his team this year by 14 points. It it's not even close to the same team as last year. Um, just not a good basketball team. And and Virginia Tech, I will say, 
one of the best outside shooting performances ever um, by Virginia Tech, but that's part of what makes it uncharacteristic for Florida State is just so many of these were wide open looks. Um, so yeah. many of these were just not closed out on. It's like you can you can look at the box score and be like, all right, you know, they shot over 70% from three. What are we going to do? You defend better. Like if if, te- defense, if teams yeah. are just if teams are just knocking down threes, falling away with a hand right in their face all game, sure you can yeah. you can be like there, there's there's nothing we can do here. This is you know just a game that they won't be able to replicate ever. But Mike Young's got enough shooters on his roster. These are high level, you know, ACC that still kind of means something. Basketball players that are going to be able to knock down open shots in rhythm when you give them that repeatedly. Um, so that game got away from Florida state so fast. Uh, it, was, it was a close game, you know, midway through the second half and then Virginia tech just went on an absolute tear. But again, a team that the metrics love, but at the end of the day, Virginia tech still bottom half team um, in the ACC, not having a good season. So yeah, if you're battling for a potential conference title, these are exactly the teams you cannot be losing to. Right. And like we said, the ACC, much like the Pac-12, does not have many opportunities to improve your resume or your your metrics. This is a game you need to win, and you need to win handily, because that will do you a favor. This has absolutely crushed Florida State. Yeah. And, I- yeah. I will stick in the ACC and go with Wake Forest in that same vein, losing by... 22 giving up 94 points to this year's version of Syracuse is uh, I think inexcusable is too soft a word in this case because this Syracuse team is under 500. They are atrocious and uh, really you know what they want to do and Wake Forest let them do it 10 of 19 from three um, and just never really were in this game or never were in it in the second half. They were up at halftime and gave up 55 second half points. I think the ACC will struggle to get four teams and five would be a miracle. Um, but all the conversation we've heard for the last you know month or so is just, this is the worst Syracuse team in 46 years of Jim Beheim. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of understand why it's nepotism run amok um, and, you know, all the reasons that we've pointed out before. But, you know, it's one thing to lose to that team. It's another to just get the doors blown off. Um, right. And like, you know exactly what they're going to do offensively. They shoot it very well, um, but there, there's not much else there. And it's just avoid overhelping um, off shooters really the way you're going to lock them down and you should be able to score at will against the zone with who they have out there. But, you know, Wake Forest picked a really bad time um, to have an awful game because they were trying and seemingly succeeding in uh, playing their way, you know, back into the tournament field um, had just rattled off four straight wins since their loss to Duke and a couple very loud wins. Um, certainly the, the 22 point win over UNC, but, Mm-hmm. I think the performance against Syracuse undoes a lot of that goodwill. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, like I said, this is just a very bad Syracuse team that you can't afford to lose to. 
I will say though, credit to Steve Forbes that they're even in this position. Um, yeah. But we're talking about them potentially making the NCAA tournament year two. Um, it it feels without the the same heights. It feels Mel Tucker esque, um, just crushing the transfer portal in the offseason, revamping the roster entirely. And I mean, yeah. that's eighty percent of your starting lineup now. Right. Um, so there's it's probably something to that. And the fact that a guy like Alondez Williams is looking at potentially a first round pick. Yeah. Like, uh, like Kenneth Walker was, should have been more in the Heisman conversation. Yeah, wow. exactly. Parallels between sports. Beautiful to see. <laughs> um, last one I've got is Colorado state. They were blown out by UNLV and, uh, this is not the nineties. UNLV is just not very good. Yeah. This, this made absolutely no sense. Um, as the couple times I think, uh, well, when Colorado State loses, they lose big. I think is is what we can say here. Um, a very, very, very good individual performance from Bryce Hamilton should yeah. mention had forty five points in this one, which is over half of UNLV's output. Um, but it's it's just very high up there on the this can't happen board. Um, yeah. Like there are teams you can lose to in the Mountain West this year, and Colorado State got one of them out of the way already in San Diego State. That like you can maybe take issue with how the loss happened, um, but not just for the fact that it happened. You know, Boise right. State, it's okay to lose to. Uh, the way Utah State has been playing of late, not necessarily the end of the world if you lose to them, but. UNLV is is pretty far down there, um, and I mean it's uh, it, it's it's not helping your seed, which is what yeah. Colorado State is playing um, for at this point. Like very good non conference start to the season, obviously going undefeated, but I don't know. You just you you have to avoid these type of losses if you want like a even now at this point, like a, a top seven seed. Yeah. Um, Bryce Hamilton had 13 made field goals. The rest of UNLV had 15. <laughs> and that is how they won. So tough, tough game overall. Like Stevens had 35 and that still wasn't even enough. Isaiah Stevens had a great game. David Roddy was really, uh, really just struggled from everywhere on the floor. He was in foul trouble. He turned it over a decent amount. Couldn't shoot the ball well. Um, so, again, like, you get a great game from one of your best players, and he just gets one-upped by the opponent having an even better game, and all of a sudden your team loses. So, Colorado State needs to be very careful. Um, they are offensively solid. Defensively, obviously, leaves a lot to be desired. 140 in Ken Palm defensive efficiency, but they have a lot to clean up. Like we said, it's fortunate that the Mountain West is pretty good this year. Um, it is unfortunate, though, because games that maybe they they knew, or they're getting everyone's best shot, I bet, I guess is the, the, what, the way I'm trying to say this. Um, so they have to be playing well every night in order to get through this Mountain West. And that's the other thing we've talked about, too. Like, who is going to be the third option? after Stevens Roddy. Um, this was Stevens game. Most games seem to be Roddy's. Um, but after that kind of right. 
where do you go? And that, that was, that was their downfall against San Diego state. It's going to come up again. Um, you know, when you play good teams, in the tournaments, they're going to be able to have at least two good defenders out there, um, in time. Yeah. So it's so another potential concern down the road. Yeah, absolutely. That will do it for us this week. Um, big, big week ahead. Um, for, for many of us, We'll be sweating Illinois, Indiana on Saturday, among others. Um, but a lot in between, too. Um, starting with the, the Super Tuesday tonight after you listen to this. So be sure to watch lots of college basketball this week. Follow us on Twitter if you do not already at BFoxBFrankShow. BFrank constantly cooking in the lab with uh, all the graphics you need to dumb it down for you and explain who's got the, the strong tournament resumes heading into March as we are now just a month away from that. Um, but do that, watch college basketball, and come back next week. We'll talk about it. We'll see you then.